Hey, next week we're going to be finishing our series on taking new ground. I'm already excited about where we're headed after, so be here next week. It's going to be a strong conclusion to our series. I'm also going to be sharing about what's coming next. It's a bit interactive. I'm excited about it. Can't wait to share it next week. But today we are in Joshua chapter 7. What we discover here is a very cautionary tale for all of us because what we see is that as we're taking new ground, there is always a temptation that we might take well, what was never intended for us to take in the first place. And to understand this, we've got to go back to Joshua chapter 6 for a moment. It was the story we talked about last week about Jericho and the miraculous uh, tearing down of the walls that the Lord did to allow his people to advance. But in there was a couple of verses that we did not read, and it's Joshua chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, and God was preparing his people to go into Jericho, but he said this. He said, do not take any of the things, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Okay? Don't do it. There's things you cannot touch. But then when we get to the very first verse of Joshua chapter 7, this is what we read. Now, God had done the miracle. Uh, Israel had gone in and, uh, you know, destroyed the city. And, uh, but here's what we're reading, Joshua 7, verse 1. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Now that's going to become kind of important to see his uh, lineage there, and you'll understand why in a moment. But so what we read in this uh, chapter 7 of Joshua is that spies had gone out to check out the next city. You know, man, Jericho came tumbling down, so they, the spies went out to check on this next city. It was a little, little small place called Ai, the city of Ai. And the spies came back and said, it is so small that we actually only need to send two, 3,000 soldiers over there. This is not going to be a problem. And so that's exactly what they did. But when they got there... Well, they were kind of shocked because the warriors from Ai, even though it was a very small place, they chased away God's people. And in fact, three dozen Israelites were killed on this attempt to take this city. And here's what it says in verse 5 of Joshua 7. It says the Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. And their courage melted away. Well, and you can understand why. I mean, they had just been part of this stunning defeat, you know, of Jericho. It's like, wow, check this out. We're now in the promised land. God is making a way for us. And so, man, what do they do? Man, their courage melts away when they, when they see that they're being so easily defeated by this little tiny town. So Joshua 
falls face uh, down before the Lord. He cries out to God and, and says, what's going to happen when our enemies hear about this? We are going to be wiped out. But then here was God's reply to Joshua in verse 10 through 12. God says, but the Lord says to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now, Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. And what we read next in Joshua chapter 7, I, I think would put fear in all of our hearts. I mean, this was this was kind of crazy what, what happens the very next morning. Because all the people of Israel come and gather before God and they're, they're gathered in the tribes. Remember, there's 12 different tribes, the people of Israel. And so they, they I think they do something like a giant spin the bottle, uh, but God was controlling this, you know. The first, the first spin, they're going to figure out, okay, who done it? You know, who was, who was the one that stole? And so, man, they spin the bottle and it comes back. It's the tribe of Judah. So, okay, so man, so all the other 11 tribes, they're like, whew, wasn't us. You know, we get to go back to our tents. Now, the tribe of Judah, they now all gather around by clan and spin it again. And it is, you guessed it, it's the clan of Zerah. And by this time, Achan, I mean, he knows what he did. So Achan, by this time, has got to be freaking out a little bit. I mean, heart pounding in his chest. It's like, man, maybe I should just come forward. But who knows? Maybe maybe it'll go a different way. Maybe somebody else stole something, too. I don't know. But so all the families come up from the clan of Zerah. And, of course, it is the family of Zimri, right, that is called out. It's part of this family. And so now all of Zimri's members of his family have to come. And finally, it is discerned. Achan, you're the one. You're the one that stole. I mean, could you imagine what Achan would have been feeling at this point? I mean, just like this crazy sense of just guilt over what he had done. You know, imagine him just saying, why, why would I have taken those things that God said not to take? Look what has happened. Man, our, our country is now being defeated by these small little uh, groups of warriors, um, you know, and, and, and it's my fault. I'm reminded, uh, thinking about this, of a verse from Numbers chapter 32, something that I grew up with hearing many, many times. Be sure your sin will find you out. Man, and Achan discovered that that day that, man, that nothing escapes the knowledge of the Lord. Not only does he know our actions and everything we do, he even knows our very thoughts and what's in our hearts. And well, Achan discovered that very painfully that day. And picking up in verse 19 of Joshua 7, we read this. It says, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. So Achan replied, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord the God of Israel, 
Among the plunder, I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 silver coins, and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. And remember what he said there. I wanted them so much that I took them. And they're hidden in the ground beneath my tent. So we pick up then in verse 24. And it says that Joshua and all of the Israelites took Achan, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tent, and everything he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And just to let you know, Achor means trouble. So they brought them to the valley of trouble. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And they all stoned, and all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. Now listen, some I know some of you at this point are going, aha, I knew it. You know, first time I mess up, God is just looking for an excuse to zap me, just wipe me clean off the face of the earth. And that's not the case. And we're going to come back to why that's not the case. Uh, but right now, I want to really think about this idea that is we're taking new ground. We always have to face a temptation to take something that was never intended for us. Now, I want you to think now for a moment about Achan. Just think about his life. I mean, he had been set free from the slavery of Egypt. And this was a man that as he was growing up from the days of his youth, he had been eating every day the manna, the food that God had miraculously been providing. And then just a short time ago, man, Achan with his family and all his stuff crossed into the promised land, crossed the Jordan on dry ground that God, again, just miraculously opened up the door for, for him to come in. And then, just right now, just days ago, that he, along with, with the other warriors, had marched around Jericho 13 times and then watched as God knocked down those massive walls. Now, more than that, we also discover in the story that Achan was a man who owned cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, a home, and he had children of his very own. This was a wealthy man. And we could all agree that this man was blessed, set free from slavery, brought into the promised land, watching the miraculous happen as God would, was taking care of him and everything. He was blessed. But when he saw the money and the beautiful clothing, he took it. I, I You know, this is where my mind goes. It's like, you know, okay, I can kind of understand why he took the money. Uh, it's like, you, you know, you could kind of slip that into future transactions. It's like, hey, I've got some money. I'm going to buy buy some more cattle, you know, going to uh, buy a new tent. I, you know, it's like you could just slip that into your, your regular currency. But the beautiful robe that he took, 
to me, that is really interesting because like, where was he going to wear it? You know, it's like the first time he puts on this beautiful new robe, it's like, you know, his wife is going to be like, hey, where did you get that? Like, I know that I did not pack that when we were uh, crossing into the promised land. Where did you get that? Let me see the tag made in Babylon. Where did you get this? You know, it's like, what was he thinking when he took these things? But you know what? I think that Achan is a lot like us. Let me ask you, have you ever taken something that wasn't intended for you? Now, I'm not talking about theft. See, is Achan technically did not steal these things because they were just, you know, laying there after the battle of Jericho. But God had said, don't take them. These things are not for you. But you might say, well, man, aren't I like free in the Lord? I'm no longer a slave. Man, can't I like enjoy life a little bit? And the truth is, absolutely, yes, you can. Over and over in the New Testament, we read that, man, we are to be able to walk in freedom. This is the way the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 3.17. He said, for the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're called to walk in freedom. You are free. You're no longer a slave. But how are you and I supposed to use this freedom that God has given us? The Apostle Paul, again, writes about this very topic in Galatians 5.13, where he says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. I want to talk for a few minutes just about my own life, my own journey. I'm going to start by talking about my life as a teenager, then as a parent, and also as a pastor. Now, I'm going to give some shout outs right now to some of the students, some of the teenagers that are right in our church. We've got some amazing youth that are part of our church family. And uh, so I'm going to give some shout outs right now uh, because just today I've been thinking about you. I've been praying for you. And I'm thinking about teenagers in the McCormick household, the McGuyan household, the Paz household, the Paralysis, the Vias, all the way down in Mexico, the Ariolas, the Jamesons, the Vega household the Doing household, the Magana household, the Espinoza household, and then all the households that are the Ezes, right? We've got the Gomezes, Floreses, Vasquezes, and Kaidas. Listen, if you're like sitting on your couch right now, if you're a parent and your teenager is not there with you, I want you to just like pause the video Go get your kids and sit them down because I want them to hear this. But listen, when I was a teenager, I think I was about 16 years old and my parents were out of town. And well, I went to a movie that I knew that they would not approve of. And I, I don't even know how this happened. But by the time I got home from the movie theater, yeah, my parents all the way across the country had found out what I had done. And guess what? 
I was thrown into the valley of trouble. I was called being grounded. Listen, as we grow, we are taking new ground, especially in those teenage years. Man, we're exploring new freedom. You know, everything is new. And, and but we, so we've got to figure out how do we use this new freedom that we have as teenagers? And I'll tell you, whenever we disobey our parents or our guardians, we aren't, we, we're taking something that doesn't yet belong to us. We are actually taking the authority that God has given to our parents and our guardians. We're, we're taking it, something that God has not intended for us to have yet. So we have to learn to walk under authority so that as we grow, that God will entrust us with real authority at the right time. And there's many of you that I believe that God really wants to bless with amazing authority in your, in your own lives. Not just as parents someday, but in all kinds of areas of leadership and government and in business and in education, in the church. God wants to give you authority. So you have to learn to not take authority that isn't yet yours. And I think this is the same for your sexuality. So if you're sitting there listening uh, with your parents, yeah, this may be a little embarrassing, but guess what? They get it. Uh, they were teenagers not too long ago. But listen, you're not kids anymore. You are a fully functional, sexual human being. And uh, God knows that. And he actually created you to thrive in this area of your life. He wants you to be able to fully come alive in your sexuality. And we're reading God's word that that is going to happen in marriage. So whenever we take things that God has said no to, and in this case, you know, sex outside of marriage or giving into that temptation to, to view pornography, what we're doing is we're actually walking ourselves right in to the valley of trouble because we're taking something that God has said, not yet. I haven't intended for you to have this yet. And what we experience, man, friendships are shattered. Trust with our parents and our others and even with ourselves, trust is broken. Sometimes addictions are started and we give away the freedom, the very freedom that God has intended for us. Now listen, parents, uh, you're not out of the woods here because I know as a parent, I have had to learn sometimes the hard way that God has given me leadership in my home. Uh, Kelly and I, man, we, we've, we've had to learn to lead in healthy ways as a parent. But that is very different from controlling the outcome of my children's lives. Listen, if your child is over 18, stop making decisions for their life, for them. Listen, you can pray for them, counsel them, love them every single day. But when you make decisions for your child who's now 18 years old or older, what you're doing is you're taking something that isn't yours. This is the responsibility that God has given them to make decisions for their lives. And I'll tell you, when, whenever we take something that is not ours, well, 
we go right into that valley of trouble. And as many parents would attest, man, we can crush the spirits of our kids, right? And ultimately, we can alienate our children from our lives. We need to learn, especially as our kids are teenagers, how to begin to release authority over to them. And then by the time they're 18, our role changes. And now they are responsible before the Lord for their decisions, and we're there to cheer them on. So, teenage years, uh, parenting years, and now I'm a pastor. And I've learned that there are things as a pastor that God is not does not allow me to take. Yeah, I have to take new ground. I've had to learn to walk in what it means to have true spiritual authority in the role that God has given me. But that is very different than taking authority in people's lives or over people's lives that is not mine to take. And it's so tempting at times as a pastor to just tell people how to live their lives. You know, this is the gospel according to Pastor Tim. But I think that all of us recognize how easily that that can slip into a, an abuse of power and actually end up hurting people. And can I just say, for any of you who have felt abused by the church, by a leader, by maybe even me, please accept my apology. I ask for your forgiveness on, on behalf of myself and any other pastor who has taken something from you that was not theirs to take. That's abusive. But this is not just true for me. It's true for you as well because you have a calling. I, I don't know what your calling is. You know, in the scripture, we read of a bunch of ways that we can be called. Maybe you have called to be an evangelist, maybe a teacher, maybe a prophet, right? But any anointing can turn abusive whenever we take something that God never intended. Now, we have to stop hurting people and say, God, I need to release those things back to you that, that you have not asked for me to grab a hold of. Whenever we take what God has not intended for us, we end up paying a price so much higher than we ever imagined. And the same that was true in Aiken's case, other people paid a high price as well. His family certainly did. But there was three dozen Israelites that lost their lives in addition because of what Aiken did. He took something that God had not intended. And in our lives, we know that it's very similar. And we see marriages ended tragically. We see joy being stolen out of people's lives. Friendships that are shattered. Trust that is lost. And how do we get there? I mean, how do we end up just walking into this valley of trouble? I think there's a couple of things that really... Uh, get us headed in the wrong direction. And maybe these are things that Aiken was dealing with in his heart, in his life, that we need to look at our own, on our own hearts and lives so that we don't end up like Aiken. Number one, I think we've got to deal with discontent. Just a thankless spirit that can creep into our hearts 
so that we're no longer satisfied with what God has given us. I want you to remember now what Achan said, his very words to Joshua when he was confronted about these things that he'd stolen and taken. And he says, I wanted them so much that I took them. But here's the reality. If we just do a heart check using Achan's own words, you know, those things that we're not to grab a hold of and take, what is going on in our heart? You know, man, I wanted that thing so much that I forgot all that God has provided. Or, man, I wanted those things so much that I placed them, money, fame, position in my job, over the lives of my children. I wanted them so much. I valued them more than my marriage, my ministry, even my life. So how do we fight that spirit of discontent? Man, we have to fight it with gratitude. I mean, every day we need to be practicing gratitude. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to a church. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And he says this, he says, be thankful. Now that word thankful, you bet, it translates right into being grateful. Those words are interchangeable. Be thankful, be grateful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You ever wondered, man, what's God's will for me? Here it is right here. To be grateful, to consider all that God has done for us. I mean, he's, not, he's gone to the cross for us. But he's also provided all that we have, every single thing. You know, in scripture, we see that uh, we're instructed to actually give thanks for our food. And that's turned into something that many of us do before meals, and that's that we pray, right? Some call it saying grace or giving thanks. Now, in some families, it's kind of maybe fallen to the wayside. Maybe maybe that hasn't been a practice for you. But I think praying before meals is one of the absolute best ways that we can have a built-in gratitude check several times a day. Where simply we're reminded by stopping and thinking and then articulating our gratitude. God, thank you for this food that I'm about to eat. God, thank you, Lord, for the farmers who harvested it. Lord, thank you for those who right now are working in grocery stores and even putting themselves in harm's way. Lord, thank you for the delivery truck people who got it to the grocery stores. And Lord, thank you, Lord, for the provision. Lord, thank you for the resource that I was able to acquire this food. And Lord, thank you most of all for the people who are right here around the table with me, people who you've given in my life to, uh, to be in a relationship with. Thank you. Lord, thank you. Man, it's a built-in gratitude check. Every single time we eat, we have to fight that spirit of discontent. And I'll tell you, we see that that's not only in people who have little it happens in people who have a lot, like Aiken. 
we can just so easily become discontented with what we have. So fight it with gratitude. I think another thing that we need to really uh, do a heart check in is this. It's self-dependence. Self-dependence is whenever we begin to think that it is up to me to make it happen. I have to take what I can when I can because no one else is looking out for me. So I just have to take what's mine. And I think we have to fight this. We have to fight this self-reliance uh, on or just a trust for the Lord and re recognizing that man, God fights for me. He knows what I need, and he is going to see me through. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Now, we need to live that way with our trust in the Lord. So here's the beautiful reason why we don't have to live in fear that God is going to strike us down like Achan. And we can thank Jesus for this because it was Jesus who introduced a new covenant for you and me that we now get to walk in with the Lord. Achan lived under the first covenant or sometimes called the old covenant. And it basically boiled down to this. I'm going to be blessed if I obey God, but I'm going to be cursed if I disobey him. And man, we see this all through the Old Testament. In fact, much of what we uh, read that the prophets spoke had to do with this very, very topic. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, he said this. Now listen to the words of the Old Covenant. Son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. The end is here. Wherever you look, east, west, north or south, your land is finished. No hope remains, for I will unleash my anger against you. I will call you to account for all your detestable sins. I will turn my eyes away and show no pity. I will repay you for all your detestable sins. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Man, what a summary of the Old Covenant. Man, if you, if you stepped outside of obedience to God, man, you, you, he was going to hold you account. You're going to be repaid for every sin that you committed. And that was certainly what we see happening to Achan. But Jesus brought in a new covenant. I love the way that the Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Romans Chapter 5, verse 21, he says this, So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, right? I mean, so he's reflecting back on that old covenant that, man, all sin brought death. But he says this, Now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we are now not living under that old covenant that Achan did. Yeah, he had to pay a harsh penalty for his sin. But here's what you and I get. We get grace. What Paul called 
wonderful grace. Grace is that I get what I don't deserve. Instead of death, I get forgiveness. Instead of being penalized, I get to walk in a new freedom. So, so what do we do when we confront the fact that, man, we have taken things that God never intended. We have strayed, we've sinned, we've blown it. But we want to be people who say, God, I want to walk in that new covenant promise that you have for me. This is what John says. First John 1 John 1.9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, that's our promise. That is such a beautiful new covenant promise that we need to confess, right? We need to repent. We need to acknowledge this is where we've gotten it wrong. This is where I have taken things that God, that you never intended for me to take. But God, I confess those things to you. And I repent, which simply means turning from those things and walking in a new direction. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And Jesus, I want to become like you. Thank you for forgiving me. And that's, that's the promise that we have. And so let's pray that promise and conclude this way. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for such an amazing promise. The Lord, that when we discover in our own stories that we've taken things that never were intended for us, things that didn't belong to us, maybe we took authority where it didn't belong to us. Maybe we actually took things that didn't belong to us. But we took liberties, Lord, that have broken trust, that have broken relationship, and even brought sin into our own lives. So, Lord, we confess those things to you. But now, Lord, we receive your forgiveness. God, thank you that we can walk in absolute right relationship with you because you did pay the price. You went to the cross to finalize that new covenant of grace, your wonderful grace that we now get to walk in. Help us to walk in it and help us to remember to never take things, Lord, that you never intended. Friends, now I'm glad you were with us today. You are loved and we're going to see you soon.